Thank you, Dave. So many, so many faces out there. This is wonderful. I have the honor of reading scripture this morning. Um, John 6, 22 through 41. Follow along with me if you would. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and Jesus, <clears throat> that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread. Uh-oh, there. Sorry, my phone just... <laughs> One moment, hopefully I can find my spot. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because they said, I am, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Okay, Simon. Thank you, Jay. You guys didn't bring, didn't bring your own bread? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? Uh, help us all. Help me. And help every one of us, Lord, to have hearts and minds that are open, attentive to what you want to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Thank you for that, Dave. Technology, what are you gonna do? 
verse 26. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Let's start there. Jesus is talking to a crowd of people who he has just fed. If you were here uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the um, moment when Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000 plus people. He multiplied fish and loaves. It's a miracle. Naturally, when something like that happens, uh, people are going to be curious. People are going to want to know more. People are going to uh, follow this, this miracle man who can multiply fish and loaves. And so they did. He crossed over. They figured out he was gone and somehow knew to cross the sea and find him. And uh, he was very quick to point out that you're not seeking me because you witnessed some sort of a miraculous sign. And I wonder how many of them even realized that they had witnessed a sign. Said, so, no, it's, it's not the sign that's uh, caused you to come looking for me. It's the fact that you ate your fill of the loaves. You had a good meal. And so naturally, um, you want more. Jesus is speaking directly to the heart. Addressing human desire, fundamental human desire. Um, and he, he challenges them. He, the implication is you think you're seeking me for one reason, um, but I'm telling you, you're, you're actually seeking me for another. And is that not just like the human experience at its core? We're all looking for something. And half the time, I wonder if we even know what we're actually looking for. The story of God, the scriptures, it's primarily a revelation of God himself. When we read the Bible, uh, that's actually a pretty important starting point. Uh, the Bible is God's self-disclosure in Christ. The Bible is God introducing himself uh, to us, to people, to the creatures, his creation. As we meet God in his story, and most vividly, most explicitly in Jesus Christ, we begin to discover ourselves. We begin to realize, oh, this is who I am. And when God created humans and he said that we were created in his likeness and we discover who God is, we begin to discover something of ourselves and the desires that we have are meant to somehow align with the very desires that flow out of the heart of our creator, our heavenly father. And so there's something about discovering ourselves in God's story, God's revelation of himself that Jesus is now talking about. You're all looking for something. You're all looking for something. Are we not all looking for something? What are you looking for? What are you doing here? What are any of us doing here? I mean, like here, here, like here right now. What'd you come here for? I'm glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Nothing more depressing than preaching to empty pews. 
what are you here for? What are any of us here for? Um, does it challenge you, maybe even slightly offend you to think that maybe you don't actually know what you're here for? Maybe we're not entirely unlike the crowd that was seeking Jesus, and when they find him, he tells them, oh, you, you think you're seeking me for one reason, but you're not. You're really looking for something else. And that's, that's a bit bold for Jesus to say, like, I, you don't, I know your heart better than you know yourself. I know humanity. I know what you're really looking for. What are you looking for? What do you think you're looking for? I suspect in our own individual ways, we are all looking. Can, can I say it? I think we're all looking for love. And maybe this is a whole nether sermon. Maybe this is a whole sermon series. But I think one of the grand conclusions of the story of God is that we are looking, we are looking for our Father's love. That's what, that's what we're hungry for. That's what we're longing for. That is the longing of the human heart. We're all looking to find our way home, to experience our Father's embrace, to have our hearts filled with his love the way we were meant to from the beginning. That's what we're looking for. Of course, there's a, there's a windy journey getting there. It's like going to work in the morning. You're not going because what you, you're looking for a paycheck. It's just, it's just paper, right? Just, or just, I don't know, however you get paid. Who gets paid in cash or check anymore? <laughs> That's old school. But we go to work, we do the stuff, we, 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 we put in the time, and we get paid because ultimately we know that it is a means to a, a more fulfilling end. The money is meant to buy us something, it's to be used for, for something that we hope will give us what we're looking for, and that's, that's a pretty human thing. Most of us, I suspect, aren't actually motivated to just like not die of hunger, which is, I think, arguably what we're actually looking at here in the text. These, these people are in the middle of nowhere, massive crowd. I don't know exactly what the, the economic situation was in, in the first century under Roman rule being a Jewish person, but I reckon getting a free meal was no light thing. And so they were truly looking for food. Um, of course, Jesus addresses that as well. Um, he says that they were looking for him because they got their fill of the loaf, but then he quite quickly goes on to elaborate on, on what that was really all about. What are you looking for? Do you know what you're looking for? I believe we're all looking for love, or in the words of the great um, luminary buckwheat, we are all looking penub in all the wrong places. Sorry, I'm, I'm old, sorry. I got a couple of laughs. SNL, Eddie Murphy, no? Okay. Looking penub in all the wrong places. 
this is what we do. This is what we do. We're all looking for love, but we do have a tendency to get uh, lost along the way, thinking like, oh, this will give it to me. This will fulfill me. This, this will satisfy me in the way that my, my heart longs for. And Jesus, this is, where, this is where we begin, this encounter with Jesus. He's speaking to the heart. He's speaking to what are you really looking for? Do you realize what you're really looking for? And then in verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father has set his seal. Don't waste your time on things that won't last. Don't spend your time Don't waste your life pursuing things that ultimately won't deliver or last. Seek the bread that I offer you. This is what Jesus says. Now this, okay, if if his opening thought if his question uh, in verse 26 wasn't offensive enough, like this, this, is, this is radical. I, w- I want to I camp on this little, little verse for a second. Let's think about what Jesus is saying, or at least implying. Don't waste your time pursuing things that ultimately won't satisfy. Don't labor for food that in the end really won't last. It might deliver for a moment. It might satisfy for a moment. But in the end, you'll just have to go back for more and for more. This is reminiscent of um, a story that we just a couple chapters ago. I think it was, uh, yeah, John chapter 4. Jesus met a woman at a well. They're out in the middle of the desert. It was high noon. They were both hot. Jesus was parched. And he asked this woman, um, a non-Jewish woman, who was some sort of societal outcast at this well for water. And he has this whole exchange with this woman. And he says, look, if you'd known who I was, you would have asked me for a drink. And I would have given you water that, that never runs out. Water that would spring up unto eternal life. And she says, give me the water. Give it to me. It's like the same story all over again. I've come to offer you food and drink that will never run out. And whatever you think is going to satisfy you pales in comparison to what I'm offering the world. Your water that you think is so great got news for you. Someone got it out of the toilet and stuck it in a bottle for you. Like compared to the water I offer you. The food that you think is so great. We had a great meal in McMinimins yesterday. We had to wait like an hour for it. But my goodness, when it got there, it was glorious. It was glorious. <laughs> I have to share this because I, I had a revelation. I had a revelation. Of course, I've got a 12-year-old boy an 11-year-old girl who's like growing an inch a day, I, I think, it's insane, and then an eight-year-old boy um, who eats more than me. And I, I can put it down. So we're at McMinimins, we're all ordering, of course, the kids are starving. And they're like, they want this, this and that, and, and my boy wants to order like off the adult menu, and I'm like, oh, it's gonna be a waste of money, did it, all this stuff. And 
so we're going around, and I'm trying to convince them, no, like, you can get, like, tell you what, we'll get, like, three kids' meals, and we'll get, like, a fourth one, you can split it up, da-da-da, and they're like, no, 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 like, you could tell they're just, like, insanely hungry, and my lovely wife sort of interjects, and she says, you know what, let's just let them order whatever they want. Auntie Jillo is with us. If you don't know Jillo, she's one of our dearest, dearest friends. She is an adopted member of our family, um, visiting from the UK right now. So she's, Auntie Jillo's with us. Why don't you let the kids order whatever they want? And I immediately like got into a funk. I'm pretty sure it was like quite obvious. I'm like, like, it's such a waste of money. The kids cannot order for themselves. So they each order two meals off the menu. I'm just like, ah, this is killing me. (laughs) Oh my goodness. They did. They did. (laughs) For those of you online, and then they ate it all. They did. They did. And I'm pretty sure it was at least in part because they knew I was slightly aggravated by the whole situation. So they're like, oh, we got to eat it all. This morning... My two boys, so the three of us, always come to church early, and they were going on. I was like, guys, eat breakfast, eat breakfast before we leave. They're like, oh, we're still stuffed. And Judah confessed that he was forcing himself to eat that, that final chicken strip <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> oh, good on you. <clears throat> this has something to do with verse 27. <laughs> Yeah, here, here's, here's the tie-in, I remember now. Uh, they're gonna be hungry again tonight, for sure, for sure. Um, and that, that's, the, that's the nature of life. Now there's, there's a wonderful tension here, a very real tension here. Jesus fed the crowd. It, it's, it's not, it's, oh, no, no, like, like, food doesn't matter, your body doesn't matter, your, your job doesn't matter, like, this world doesn't matter. He didn't, he didn't say any of that, and in fact, that, that would be a, a, a terrible, that, that, that wouldn't be right. If we read the rest of the story, we would realize that actually God really loves his, his creation. And, uh, and all of these things that we enjoy in life can actually be in wonderful gifts. And we can even enjoy these things in a way that are like, like expressions of gratitude and worship, um, as long as we don't deify these things, thinking that somehow, quote unquote, worldly things will ultimately fulfill an eternal desire that I have to be loved by my Father. But Jesus says, quite boldly, that whatever you think was meant to satisfy you, I've got something better. I've got something better. And I think that's a big part of, of, of the Christian story, is that actually whatever you were finding satisfaction in, pre-Jesus, he comes along and he says, no, I've got something way better. That bread will eventually uh, grow stale, grow mold, run out. I've got something that will endure forever. I've come to offer you something else, something better. And notice he doesn't really elaborate on like what that is. He just, he just sort of puts the challenge out. He begins to uh, sort of tease the people. I love that. It, it means we have to keep reading the story. 
and I'm going to actually do my best not to like uh, spoil the ending because we, we've got to work our way there. But Jesus is simply saying, I've got something better. Don't waste your time thinking that something in this life, something temporal, something um, good but not eternal in this life can satisfy you in a way that only I can. Verse 28, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, okay, so great, then what do we have to do? How's it work? How much does it cost? Where, where, where do we gotta go? What's the, what's, what's the deal? What are the steps? What do I have to do in order to uh, experience this, this lasting fulfillment that you're talking about? Natural question, right? This is, uh, this is fair. Okay, great. Then how's it work? What do I gotta do? Surely there's a, a string attached. Surely there's some sort of a price tag to this thing. I mean, if it's that good, what do we have to do? And of course, Jesus responds by saying, this is the work that you have to do. Believe. Believe me. Um, the Greek word there is pistuo. That might be helpful only because it like shows up all over the place in the New Testament. Um, and it's when I don't know you. You may, maybe you you're aware of like the difference between the English category or word for believe and and what Jesus was perhaps actually talking about. Believe is is a perfectly fine word for the sake of translation, but I think most of us when we hear believe, we think oh this is this is um okay some sort of like a mental trick. I have to like mentally ascend to something or I have to be, it's, it's an internal phenomenon, um, which, which it is, but only in part. Uh, to believe is to, is to heavily lean on, place all confidence in, to trust in such a way that there will be an, an action connected to it. It will, by default, by definition, result in like some kind of radical change in behavior. Uh, other books in the New Testament sort of elaborate on this at length. Uh, to have faith is to actually respond in obedience. It's, it's to say you believe or trust Jesus is to say, whatever you say, I will do. And those two categories belong together. So it's not merely a mental ascent. It's not just an inner uh, enlightenment. It's a holistic thing. It's a holistic category. So when Jesus says believe, he's saying believe me in such a way that you lean on me with all your weight, that you trust me to the extent that you will obey me. Whatever I say, wherever I lead, However I challenge you, whatever my vision is for your life and all that that entails, believe, believe, trust me. Um, now that, that is one of the great and wonderful scandals of 
of the gospel, this, uh, this good news that God's come down to gift his people, to give us what we're looking for, among other things. It's one of the great scandals of the gospel that God makes us this incredible promise. He, he, he tells us, I have exactly what you're looking for. Everything else compared to the bread that I offer you, it's rubbish, it's a waste of time, and I've, I've got what you're looking for, wonderful, so what do I gotta do, how much does it cost? Sign me up, I'll, I'll do it, just tell me, this is what you have to do, just trust me. Mm. Really? Because I was kind of hoping maybe, maybe there was something that I could do to earn it, because that, that feels a bit more like progress. That, that, that helps me to feel like I at least have some control in the process, because if I can feel like I'm actually doing the things and excelling in the, I don't know, the religious behavior or the moral code or whatever it might be, then, then, then I've earned it. I've earned the bread. I, now I've... I've I, I've, I've achieved a place in my father's house. And that there seems to be something about human nature that, that we want it to be that way. At least some of us do. They did, for sure. They, they, had, they had been conditioned to sort of think of it that way, unfortunately. And when Jesus says, you have to believe, you have to trust me, you have to lean on me, well, that's, that, that almost sounds like, you mean like, um, like a child? Like a child would depend on their parent? Like that? Well, that's, that's rather humbling. That, that, that is, that, that, that kind of uh, messes with my ego. I like the idea of sort of excelling and achieving and progressing and, and working my way up and, and, and that way now, now I can know for sure that, that, I've, that I've earned my, my place. But no, no. And that's the, that's the scandal. That's the scandal. Jesus says, just trust me. This is actually one of the things that makes the Christian faith, if I can be a little bold here. Uh, there's a lot of different religions and, and worldviews and philosophies and, and spiritualities in the world. We're all aware of this. Um, and I don't really like bashing other people's like, worldviews. Um, but I think it is helpful to, to differentiate and point out, like, here's some real differences. Because there are real differences. I think that's actually just uh, a very loving thing to do, to say, like, well, no, there are differences. Um, and here's what they are. Now let's proceed accordingly. One of the great differences is that in the Christian faith, we experience the salvation of God, the grace of God, the love of God, all of the things of God, not by earning a place um, in our Father's house, if I can put it that way, but simply by trusting that he is exactly who he says he is, and he has done for us exactly what he said he'd do. That is to come down and die for us. To make a way that we can come home. Not in debt, 
Not somehow um, because we've, we've earned our way back in or we've convinced our Father that we'll do better. I promise. I'll work harder. No, simply because of who he is and what he's done for us. Um, correct me if I'm wrong after the service, uh, but I don't know if there's any other religion on planet Earth quite like that. It is scandalous. Oh, it is wonderfully scandalous. The God who comes down, who does the work for us and then welcomes us home. Just trust me. Trust me in a way that results in definite action. Qualify that. In verse 30, they respond by saying, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Another fair question. Okay, so if we're meant to believe you, believe what exactly, I, I, don't, I don't know at this point. I don't think they knew at this point. But if you want us to trust you, fine, then what sign do you do? And Jesus essentially responds uh, by not responding. <laughs> he says, okay, um, you, you wanna see something, I'm standing right in front of you. You've seen me, and yet you still don't believe. Uh, you might recall something uh, to do with like five loaves and two fishes that I multiplied to feed all y'all. Remember that thing? Did that, did that count for nothing? Um, and what about the sick people I've already healed? Surely if you've not witnessed the signs firsthand, you, you have a friend who was there. So they, there had already been signs that had taken place. Jesus had already demonstrated his authority, his power, his divinity as it were, and yet they still didn't believe. And as we keep reading, this is, this is an ongoing thing. It comes up almost every single step of the way. Believe, 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 believe. The, the gospel writer John wants us to believe, trust that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And he's able to do what he said he can. Believe him, trust him. And it's just like this whole journey of walking with Jesus. Believe him, believe him. I want to believe, help my unbelief, give me a sign. And it's like Jesus saying, it doesn't work the way you think it does. The trust that I'm asking from you doesn't happen by simply seeing uh, miracles. Oh gosh, I wish it worked that way. I want empirical data. I want empirical data. Then I'll believe. Will you though? Will you? Yeah. Hmm, maybe. Some of people who met Jesus along the way, uh, it's, it's, they, they seem to, I was chatting with my brother a couple weeks ago, Alex, and he was, he was, we were talking about believing, and he confessed to me that he, he finds believing to come quite naturally, easily. I'm like, oh, what a gift, man. That's, that's amazing. And I reckon some people are, are like that. They're like, I believe. I don't, I don't even know why I believe exactly, other than the fact that like, Jesus has gotten a hold of my heart and God has, by his grace, just like, helped me to believe. And other people, it's like, no, look, I've actually seen some things. I've seen some signs. I've also seen like, like 
signs that like have nothing to do with Jesus, like other spiritual things, like there's this whole world of spirituality out there that don't necessarily align with Jesus. So I struggled to believe. And the sign, the quote unquote sign that Jesus gives us, it's not this empirical demonstration, it's something happening in our hearts. Jesus begins to deal with the desires, the longings, the emptiness, the shame, the stuff that's not tangible, the stuff that we can't quite put our finger on but is just as real as anything else we might experience out there. You know one of the greatest signs of God's grace at work in a person's life? It's conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit begins to deal with the dark places in our soul. And instead of giving us, uh, putting on a show that might uh, cause us to think, man, maybe there is something divine about this Jesus, he cuts right to the chase. He sifts right through all of the noise and the competing uh, quote-unquote signs out there and he begins to deal with what's really going on inside. The brokenness in my own soul. The sin that I'm ashamed of, that I'm terrified if someone found out about, I would just die. And the Holy Spirit begins to um, do surgery on our hearts begins to talk to us about the things that we're ashamed of, the things that cause us to, to lay awake at night, wondering, could God ever really love me? Could anyone, for that matter, ever actually love me? Not, enough, not if they knew who I really was. The Holy Spirit starts to deal with our hearts. This, this, is, this is how God engages with us. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it can be quite a miserable process, by the way, if, if you've ever experienced this. God digging around in the cellar of your soul. Oh, oh, don't, I don't talk about that. Like, let's, don't bring that up. Don't bring up my personal stuff. Give us a sign. Jesus, okay. They said, give us a sign. Verse 34, Jesus said, no, Jesus says, I'm not going to give you the sign that you're looking for. You're, you're waiting for bread to come down from heaven, but I'm telling you, I'm standing right in front of you. And then in verse 34, they simply relent and say, sir, give us this bread. Fine. Then just give it to us. We'll take some, please. I wonder if sometimes um, we're wondering to ourselves: does Jesus really have what my heart longs for? And they get like really personal now. As Christians, you might, you might not be a Christian here, that's, that's 
I'm so super glad you're here. But let's say most of us here are Christians. As Christians, we come to church. I, sometimes I wonder, I wonder this about myself, and I wonder this about like Christians in general. I wonder if we've truly experienced the satisfaction that we like to sing about and talk about all the time. How many of us really know this deep um, contentment? One of the early church leaders, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a bunch of letters to some of the churches in the first century. He writes a letter to a church in Philippi and he talks about, I have found the secret of being content in all circumstances. Whether rich or poor, I I figured it out. It's Jesus with me. I've got the bread. I finally figured it out. I'm satisfied whether I live or die whether plenty or not. I've got the bread. That challenges me. I think it should challenge all of us. Because when we leave here, you know what gives me deep, deep, deep satisfaction? Can I I confess something to you? Like for real? One of the things that gives me the most satisfaction in my life is an epic Minecraft build. For real. Guys, I have little boys, okay? So don't judge me. They wore me down, all right? You can only resist for so long. And my boys are like, look, you gotta play Minecraft. You gotta play Minecraft. And I'm like, but why? It looks lame. It's, it's, it's so stupid. Like, why would I play? They finally wore me down. I sat down. I started playing this game. I'm like, oh, I get it. This is like, this is like the crack cocaine of video games. Like... <laughs> And I play this stupid game, and I'm like, this is the most satisfying thing ever. And then I get convicted, because I'm like, that's, that's ridiculous. That is utterly ridiculous. I feel so satisfied right now. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I want to feel at least this satisfied in your presence. <laughs> I want to feel at least this satisfied as you pour your love into my heart by the Holy Spirit whom you've given to me. This is the promise of God. The Father has set his seal upon the Son. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we're told that the seal is the Holy Spirit that's come and rests on Jesus. And when the gospel began to be proclaimed, when Jesus died and was resurrected, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter stood up and he proclaimed, this Jesus whom you crucified is alive and he's coming again to judge the world. He's going to deal with you and all that's on, going on in your heart. But he offers salvation if you'll believe, if you'll trust him, if you'll lean all of your weight on him. And it says, what must we do? They responded, they were cut to the heart and they responded, what must we do to get the bread? Repent, confess your sins, forsake your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus, that's the Christian initiation rite into the family, to be cleansed and welcomed in and receive the Holy Spirit. This is the water that wells up to eternal life. This is the bread that never runs out. 
when we begin to receive the spirit of Christ who lives in us. It's the satisfaction we're looking for. How many of you have experienced that, like firsthand, to where you're like, look, I like McMinimins, I like Minecraft, I like food, I like my job, I like all of these things, but compared, compared to the bread that comes from heaven, oh goodness, I think I've discovered the secret to contentment. This is just like a massive challenge. So this is what I, I want to present to you guys. This is our vision for what Jesus wants to give us. Don't be satisfied for anything less. You may be thinking, like, Man, I, don't, I don't even know, how does that work? Like, what, okay, what, you say it's not about what I do, it's what I believe, okay, but, but I still have to like leave this building, go back to my job and like do real life stuff, so how does it work? How does it work? We gotta keep reading, we gotta keep reading. Jesus doesn't tell us, but we will keep reading. We will keep walking with Jesus. But for now, for this morning, let's at least like renew our vision for what Jesus offers us. For some of us, it might be like a reawakening, like yeah, maybe, maybe I'm way too satisfied. Maybe that whole little Minecraft thing, it's kind of stupid, but like, oh, I get it, I get it. I, I find so much satisfaction in so many things outside of the bread that's come from heaven. Lord, renew my vision. Would you give me like a, uh, like a holy dissatisfaction for anything less, for anything that simply will not endure? Lord, help us. Lord, help us. I am the bread that's come down from heaven. Oh, there's so much more, so much more. Let me just share. No, I'll, I'll stop there, I'll stop there, that's enough. I'm going to truncate the message. Can we stand together, please? Can I invite our worship team up, please? Hmm. So my encouragement... um, Here's a practical thing. I I think it is important. I want to help you guys. Like, what what do you do when you leave here? Here's a practical thing. Go back to John chapter 6. Find a a quiet moment. Find a Bible. Maybe even a paper one. Something about the aesthetic experience. Open it up. Begin reading through this passage again. All, All the way to the end. It's quite wordy. It's packed full of imagery and Old Testament references. Um, Essentially, Jesus is like retelling the Exodus story. So there's quite a bit more I I wanted to say about it, but it'll just, we'll go off. Like, I'll I'll go on for another 30 minutes. But meditate on it. Say, Jesus, if if your words to me are meant to result in eternal life. Lord, would you speak to me now? 
If your death on the cross was so that I can come home, so that my sins would be paid for, because the penalty for sin is death, this is why God came down and died for us, so that we could be forgiven and come home. We could experience the love of our Father, the embrace of our Father. If all that is true, Lord, would you help me to believe? Would you help me? Would you speak to me? Would you help me to, uh, would you open my eyes to, the, to the, the parts of my life where I'm satisfying for something that pales in comparison to the bread you offer me so that I can repent? which is a word that means so that I can turn away from that thing, which is not your best for me, and receive your best for me. Ultimately, anything less than God's best uh, will result in eternal separation from him. We'll make little gods out of those things. It's the trajectory to hell. And Jesus said, if you don't eat what I give you, if you don't receive my body and blood for you, then you do not have my life in you. So we're born separated. But if you do receive my life in you, if you put your trust in me, then not only do I offer you eternal life, but I offer you like sustenance for the journey. That was the bread in the wilderness. It was sustenance for the journey. They were on their way to the promised land, home, heaven, if you will. But they needed sustenance for the journey. They weren't just holding on. They were meant to thrive as God's kids. Think about that. Think about that. Let's all think about that as we meditate on these words together, as we walk with Jesus this week. Let's worship.